As you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and I'd like to thank Graham and Elaine very much for all that they gave to us during those uh, two sessions. I really love the book of Ephesians. I don't know about you, but it's, it's so full, of, so rich, and especially in that first passage, that word lavish. I just love that word lavish. God lavished his love upon us. It's such a wonderful uh, phrase, wonderful word. But you know, there's one sentence in Ephesians 1 that really gives me a bit of a problem. And it's this one. Ephesians 1 and verse 5. You don't need to turn to it, it's coming up in a minute. And it says this. In love, God predestined us. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Yes, I can't wait to hear what he's predestined us to be. To be adopted, yes, as his sons. Oh, that sounds great for us men, doesn't it? But where do the women come in? Has he left them out? Does, is Paul a chauvinist and he thinks women aren't worth anything? No, it can't be that. And I'll tell you why. Because in Galatians, Paul wrote this. And Galatians was a book that he wrote about 20 years before he wrote the book to the Ephesians. And in Galatians, Paul wrote this. Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, it couldn't be plainer than that, could it? So, there seems to be a problem. What is happening here? Now, some translations try to get around this problem of being adopted as sons. The authorised version says we're adopted as children. And, in fact, the Passion Translation does the same, uses the same word. In the Living Bible, uh, it says we're adopted in God's family. Well, that's okay, I suppose. And in the English Standard Version, it just uses the word adoption. But I have to tell you now that those are all wrong translations. If we look at the Greek, we find, we find Ephesians 1 verse 5, that it is adoption to sonship, and I'll show you why. The word used from the Greek, is huiothesia. Yeah, I knew you'd know what that meant, yeah. <laughs> Neil and I, oh yeah, we're familiar with this, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it comes from huios, meaning a son, and thesis, a placing. So, there's no doubt about it, Paul deliberately used the word son. So, that doesn't seem to make sense, does it, when he said that in Galatians. So what is the, the interpretation? How can we get around this? Well, I think in order to understand what Paul is trying to say, we need to understand the culture of the time. Because, of course, Paul came from the culture of Judaism and there were lots of other cultures, but one thing that they all had in com- common was that men were superior to women. Okay, and... This, I think, will help to explain it a little bit. If we look at the hierarchy in Judaism at the time, this is what we find. When people came to Jerusalem to worship God, Gentiles and Samaritans, although Jews didn't like Samaritans very much at all, 
they were welcome in the temple, but only to the outer courtyard. They weren't allowed to go any further. If they wanted to go further, only Jews could go further. But you notice the next scale, the level of the pyramid, it was only Jewish women who were allowed to go to the next room. And then if you want to go to the next room, you had to be a man, I'm afraid. Only Jewish men could go to the next room. And then above that, we have only the priests were allowed, and finally, only the high priest could go to the Holy of Holies, and then he could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So that was Paul's background, that's what everyone was living with, that sort of idea. And so, what Paul was doing was actually doing away with the divisions that existed in society. Uh, he was abolishing them and saying, oops, let's go back to that in a minute, um, saying that women are as important as men, that women too are adopted, if you like, as sons, exactly the same status as women. But of course, if we look wider at the culture of the time, we find that uh, other religions didn't go along with that at all. I looked this up and found this. This quote, a uh, question that, uh, that uh, Muslims seem to uh, quote. Does Islam teach that a woman is less than a man? That's the question. Answer? Absolutely. The only debatable point is by what degree? Hmm, yes. Quite. Well, I, there were, I found eight more similar references in the Quran and 16 other references in other Muslim texts. I daren't show you any of the others because there could be a riot on our hands. And uh, some of them are disgraceful. Well, that's pretty disgraceful anyway. Um, but that's the situation that existed. And of course, sadly, that still exists today. Let me tell you the story of a young lady called Esther. She was living in northeastern Nigeria and uh, one day the Boko Haram came and uh, invaded, killed a lot of people and captured a lot of people. That is Esther, but we cannot see all of her face because it's too risky to show her full face. She might be identified. Okay, so Boko Haram came and kidnapped her um, along with other women and she had three years of captivity. But when she was captured and taken away, she was given a choice. She could either become, uh, she could either be married off to one of the Muslim men, or she could become a slave. Being a faithful Christian young girl, she was a teenager, she chose slavery. What happened to her? They married her off anyway. Married her off to a man with three wives. She then endured three years of unspeakable sexual abuse. She was treated like a slave. And not just because she was a Christian, but because she was a woman. They felt free to treat women far worse than they did men. 
And of course, in many countries, many African countries, which are Muslim, some women are treated a little better than animals. Okay. Now, eventually, after three years, Esther managed to escape. But she found that she was pregnant. And of course, she had no idea who the father was. Now, at first, she was welcomed home. But when the villagers knew she was pregnant, there was a very different reaction, even in her own village. Forced her to have an abortion. This was the the, the murmur, the gossip going round. That's what she should do because she's been uh, raped. Uh, she doesn't know who the, the father is. Uh, she's not married. She should have an abortion. And Esther stood out against that. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. And credit to her for doing that. But So she had the baby. But even then, she suffered from taunts of the villagers. They gave her little baby daughter a nickname. Baby Boko, after Boko Haram, of course. And that was so tough for Esther to have to put up with that. But she kept her daughter. I don't know if you can see that very well. That is Rebecca. She is two years old. Now, because of stories like that, of Esther's, Open Doors have launched their new campaign and is this, see change, not see change, but see full stop change. In other words, we need in the West, in, in the civil, so-called civilised world, we need to see this, to see that it's going on, we need to identify wherever it's going on in the world. We need to recognise the terrible dilemma of Christian women in countries like these. And then when we've identified it, we need to go to the next one and to say we need to change this. This must change. Not just because it's Christians being persecuted, but it's women as well. Senior figures in our own government, including our beloved MP, Jeremy Hunt, have spoken out about this. And it's good that this is becoming more and more on the agenda in public life in politics and in other walks of life. Okay, as for Esther, this is what happened to her. Through Open Doors co-workers, partners, she was invited to join a trauma care programme. You can imagine how much she needed that. And she went through that and she gradually became rehabilitated. Then she was given, as it says, compassion, not condemned, but understanding, counselling, you can imagine how much she needed that after all she'd been through, and Bible teaching. That's not always available in rural places, in places like Nigeria. And now, she encourages others. Isn't that good? That she's become someone who can reach out to other young women in a similar position. And just by the by, Boko Haram over the years have kidnapped thousands of women, just like Esther. So it's a real problem, and of course we tend not to know about it in this country. Okay, and this is what she says now. 
He said at first, I had no idea how I would ever be able to love this child. But now, she says, that's Rebecca again, she has become my joy and laughter. And she says also this, and I quote, Even if they make fun of my daughter, I just see that I don't feel pain anymore because I know that's not who my baby is. So that's a really good story there. Now, this is the Sea Change programme, as I was saying, and Open Doors Local Church Partners do run care programmes for women who have experienced severe trauma and persecution. But let me tell you the story of another young lady. Now, uh, you've got around you somewhere one of the magazines of this month and you can see the story of this young lady um, and you can read it afterwards. But let's let me, you can see that picture in the magazine as well. But let me tell you uh, about her. Open Doors are trying to, are bringing hidden persecution into the light. And we cannot show this young lady's uh, face again for security reasons. We cannot show it to her for her own protection. And very persecution of women itself is often undetected. But as Open Doors, as I said, is determined to bring the hidden persecution into the light. So, let's meet this young lady. Her name is Aiza. Now, she was a good Muslim young lady in a North African country. And 17 years ago, she met a Christian woman. And she thought, aha, I know what I'll do, I'll convert her to Islam. And so they had lots of conversations together. But of course, in doing that, she had to look at the Bible in order to find out what the Bible was saying. And as a result, it says, or she says, she fell in love with the Bible. She, started, she began to believe it, of course, and she became a Christian. Now, doing that, she knew this was going to make trouble at home. And for years she put off telling her family. But eventually she did, after some years. What was the result? Well, her father wasn't too happy. In fact, her father ordered her younger brother to beat her up twice a day. That's the sort of reaction that is typical in those sort of situations. And then her father disowned her. Now, through all this time, God was faithful to her, but she discovered that the, the following things. That in her society, women are considered to have nothing to offer. And here's a, a, a nasty one too. Only married women have any value at all. Well, you can come up to me afterwards and tell me how awful that is. <laughs> but that's what their society seems to say about women. And Christian women even more 
are, uh, are reviled and treated as a threat. And even that they bring shame on their Muslim families. Now how is Isaiah going to cope with that? Well, let me quote what happened. She had to leave her home and she says this, I walked away with only the things that I could fit into my backpack. I stayed for a few weeks with another believer and then I lived for two years with the family who led me to Jesus. It was ten years before I spoke to my father again. But the good thing is that God walked all this time with me. I didn't get a hardened heart. God helped me not to miss my father too much. And so, Aiza wasn't a lost cause. This is what happened. Through open doors, she was able to receive food and shelter. And this is typical of many women like this. Often they're thrown out of their houses and literally onto the streets. They have nothing. They need food and shelter. And through Open Doors Partners, Aiza and many others receive that. Not only that, sometimes they need legal aid because Muslim families, if if this happens, if their daughter says she's a Christian now, one of the ways they will try and deal with it is to forcibly marry her off to a Muslim man because then they think they've solved the problem. Well, in those cases, these women need legal aid to fight this because obviously they don't want to be uh, married off to a Muslim man. So that's another thing. Then, many of these women, well in fact most of them, will need to find work to support themselves and the Open Doors provides this. But sometimes they need to, if they're capable of doing this, they need to educate themselves more and, and get into a job that is more suitable for them. So Open Doors provides that too. And also, Open Doors prepares women to lead and even to pastor churches. That is exactly what happens to Aiza. She has become a leader in her own community and people respect her, women and men too, which is great, isn't it, in a society like that. Now, the motto of the Open Doors programme is this, of a sea change program. The vision is that every woman who is persecuted for her faith and gender is seen, valued and empowered to reach her God-given potential. Now, I started by quoting a verse from Ephesians. I'd like to finish with a verse from Ephesians. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this We are God's workmanship. Perhaps I ought to say workwomanship as well. Yeah, that was meant to be a joke. Sorry, don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That applies to women as well as men. We are God's workmanship. 
And I'd like to pray now for those women who have come through enormous trauma that they do find their God-given potential and uh, what God wants them to do. Let's just pray now. Father, I do want to pray for Esther who has been through such trauma but now has a little baby daughter. I just pray that you would help to wipe out the, the memory of such awful treatment that she's had and that she'll be a comfort and a blessing to her community. And Father, we do pray for Aiza. We thank you, Lord, that you've uh, not only uh, converted her and brought her into her position in you, but also you've given her a, a ministry of leading and, and empowering other women to follow her. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing this. Thank you for the work of all those people involved, unseen people all over Africa and other places who are helping these women and counselling them and empowering them to be what you want them to be. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Just in closing then, we are God's workmanship. Yes. And that applies to each one of us. Now, sometimes we don't realise this very much, but it is true. Can I just ask you a question? Can you say, yes, I know I'm God's workmanship. I know that I'm fulfilling what God wants me to do. Hopefully, prayerfully, that is true of most of us. But I know there are some people, and I've been in that situation myself, that not sure that I'm in what I'm supposed to be doing. There are periods in our lives when we're not sure where, where, where God wants us to be. We've got unrest, we've got doubts and fears. And maybe you would like prayer this morning for that. I'm going to be at the front here, Julia is, and others, please come and pray. If you'd like prayer at the end of the service, do come up and let's pray through these things together.